Welcome back to the Don't Stop Me Now podcast with me, your host, Jennifer Vaughn. I am so excited to share this interview with you. This is a very special one for me. This was the first HIV positive woman to reach out to me through, uh, actually it was through Facebook, but she found me through YouTube. She found me a week after I uploaded my first YouTube video about my story. And um, I just remember that moment. It was amazing to see that message. I really wondered if I would ever, ever reach another HIV positive woman. And within, well, she got my message or she saw my video a week after I uploaded. And I think I saw her message to me, I think it was about two weeks later, two or three weeks later. So it started this friendship and connection. I always call her my first wife because uh, several HIV positive women have reached out to me over the years. But this woman, Catherine, was the first. So she's my first wife and she's my first interview on my podcast. It's so fitting. She's my my guinea pig uh, because we did this recording all the way from California to South Africa. It was my morning. It was her evening. I think it's she's even into the next day. I'm not even sure. Um, but it's a very special interview. She's so candid and she's just amazing. And I'm so excited to share this interview with you guys. I learned so much about Catherine that I didn't know about her story, so a lot of this was new for me as well. Without further ado, I hate saying that, but what else do you say? Um, here's my interview with Catherine. Enjoy. You're my first lady that reached out to me. We'll get to that, but it's kind of cool that you're my very first interview too. So you're my guinea pig because yeah, I've never I'm done this. Excited. I wasn't even <laughs> sure if I should do the video or just put audio. I'm like, I don't want to make her feel awkward, but I just did it with video, even though I'm like, I haven't even showered or anything, but I thought I'll just do the full video so we can say, see each other. Cause we've talked like through DM or through uh, messenger in real time, but we've never actually talked, yeah. you know, on the phone so this is more on the I know phone. but it's, it's also it's so much easier to speak to somebody if you can see their face true true without a mask on I, f- I feel I feel so awkward like speaking on the phone <laughs> oh really somebody, so awkward oh wow yeah. my friends already know not to phone me <laughs> <laughs> really that's funny yeah Eric mm. is like that he doesn't ever he doesn't like to speak on the phone he always wants to FaceTime always always facetime mm. so yeah we we rarely have a conversation just over the phone where we're just talking that's like not our not our thing so okay so yeah. you know what i honestly don't know like about your past tell us about Catherine, where you're from and do you speak other languages i feel like you do, <laughs> do, you speak du- do you speak dutch yeah. uh afrikaans oh afrikaans that's right i do remember you telling me that mm. okay how do you say like uh, have a great day Oh, that is, that's exquisite. Mm. That's really neat. Okay, go ahead. Tell me about yourself. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's all good. Um, so obviously, yeah, I'm from South Africa. Um, I just turned 40 this year. Oh, we're 10 years apart. Okay, congratulations. Mm. Yeah, and I had my birthday in lockdown, so it was kind of depressing. I had yeah. uh, so many plans <laughs> for this year. Mm-hmm. I was going to celebrate and it was going to be amazing. And then I had like a cupcake. <laughs> yeah, we all kind of got screwed on our birthdays this year. So, yeah, um, I'm from South Africa. I, I've lived in a couple of places around here. And I was born in a place called, which was actually a different country at that point, called Babudetswana. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
moved to Cape Town and that's pretty much where I grew up. And I've been in Johannesburg now since 2006, so quite a few years. Uh, wow, okay. And um, so what did what's your family life like? Did you have brothers, sisters? Yeah, so uh, I have two older brothers, uh, much older than me. I was a surprise. I don't like to say mistake anymore. It wasn't a mistake, I was a surprise. There you go. Um, and yeah, I've got two older brothers. Um, one of them is in the UK and the other one is still here in South Africa. Okay, so <laughs> we can go into like what happened with us if you want, like how we met. Yeah. So I, mm. yeah, I, I did my video and really I had several reasons for putting out my first video was to find another woman like me because I really felt like I was like the only one. I don't know about you, mm. but I didn't think there was probably anybody else with what happened yeah. to me. I thought maybe I'll find somebody if I do a YouTube video. And I also wanted to explain my story story to people on uh, Facebook because um, it was mostly just, it was family and friends at the time. There was like 300 people. So I thought I want to do a more in-depth, like explaining exactly what happened and what went down. And so I, it was for that also. And I just wanted to explain HIV to people so that people understood what it is today and how you can recover from AIDS and, and all of that. Like I feel normal and I really wanted all of that, but I really, really wanted to see if I'd find another woman like me who had gone through the same thing or help prevent another woman from going through what I went through. Like maybe if they knew signs and symptoms, they would go get checked. So like all of those things hmm. were playing into my first video. And then I, I feel like it was maybe three weeks after I put it up. And I don't remember how you contacted me because it, hmm. maybe it was that you put a comment. Do you remember how you con how contacted yeah, me? Yeah, I, I remember. I remember like it was yesterday. <laughs> how was it? Was it a comment? No, I sent you a message. On, I sent you a message on, in, on um, Facebook. Yeah. It was. And I, yeah, and honestly, like, I mean, I think it was actually a, probably, it was a week after you had posted your video. Oh my God. And I, I, I was looking for, for information and because I'd just been diagnosed and um, I was freaked out. Um, and when I found your video, it was it was actually one of the first videos that came up. And the reason that I decided to click on it was because it didn't have millions of views. Um, I kind of felt like it would be more authentic, you know, than uh -huh. a video that has one and a half million views. Like, you know, are they are they is somebody paying them to do that? You know what I mean? So <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, so I decided to watch your video, and and yeah, man that it just gave me so much hope that I, after I'd watched it, I just felt so much more peace in, in myself and, and for the future, I knew that I was going to be okay. And it was all because of you. So I am a firm believer in like, you know what, if you need to say something to somebody, you got to say it, mm -hmm. you know, and especially, you know, what had transpired the, the weeks before, um, I was just like, I have to find you, I have to reach out to you, and I have to let you know that you made such a difference in my life. So that's, that's I mean, that's how I contacted you. I sent you like a whole paragraph. And I do it. remember getting it and being like, almost like not even sure it was real. Like I couldn't believe it. Like, mm -hmm. did this really happen? Like the, this fast? I really didn't expect it. 
Yeah, I remember wondering if it was authentic or not. But as we wrote back and forth, I was like, oh, my God, this is this is for real. And you were you were very sick. Yeah, I was I was really sick. Yeah, at that time. Yeah. I had come out of hospital, to be honest with you, at that okay. point. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't in the time. I mean, I can go through the whole story if you like. Yeah, yeah, please tell me. So what happened actually and I'm gonna, I'm gonna rewind like before my diagnosis actually because I think that it is really significant that the timing of everything. So around about the end of July, one of my friends um, contacted me and was like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Um, let's have a painting party because I love painting like for fun. I'm not, I'm not particularly good at it. I do mostly abstract. Let's just put that out there. Please do not ask to see any of my paintings. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I just love it. It's therapeutic for me. So I was like, okay, cool. Come over. I set everything up outside. And we had a couple of bottles of wine. Um, and, you know, things always get hectic when you have wine. So... <laughs> You know, I'm 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 a very I'm a quite a deep person, so I like I tend to ask you know probing questions, unless you tell me not to. So we had had a couple of glasses, and I said to her, "What was what is the biggest lie you've ever told?" And she shared with me. I mean, I, ne I nearly fell over, but um, I wasn't expecting what she told me, so I was like quite shocked. And then she obviously responded and said, what about you? She said, you know, the biggest lie I ever told myself was that I wasn't raped. And that was the very first time since it happened that I told a single soul, like nobody knew, like I lived in denial. I felt such shame and, you know, I didn't actually know how to deal with it. I didn't want to tell anybody because I was like, they're going to look at me differently and they think of me differently. What if they don't believe me, you know? And I had all of this going on. So, I mean, it happened when I was 23, which was obviously how um, I got HIV. Wow. And all these years I lived in denial. I never told a single soul. And to deal with it emotionally, I was in denial. I would tell myself different stories about what happened that night and why it happened and and everything except that I was raped. Like, I would try to convince myself that it, it didn't actually happen or, you know, it didn't happen the way I think it happened. And I just kept living in this denial. And I think that that was also one of the reasons I never, ever got tested was because I would have to break that denial and I would have to admit that this happened to me and I didn't want to. Did it cross your mind ever that maybe you needed to test for HIV because of the oh, rape? Oh, it did. Okay. 100%, 100%. Wow. But yeah, the, you know, denial is, is yeah, it's, such a, it's such a hectic thing. Yep. So um, that was the first time since I was 23 at this point, I'm 36, that I had uttered those words. Wow. I was raped. And um, I did, I made this painting. It was of a V with like a light coming out of it. And my friend said to me, like, well, how do you decide like what you're going to paint? And I said, you know, I don't like, I just start painting and I just like kind of sense like feeling and, and put that onto the paper. 
onto the canvas. So she said, okay, well, you know, what, what inspired this that you just painted now? So I said, I don't know, like, I just had the word, like, you're going to be victorious. You're going to be victorious. And she was like, victorious in what? I said, I don't have a clue. <laughs> um, we carried on with our life, you know. And literally three days after that, I got sick. And I think the reason I'm telling you this is because I think that it's significant because I think that that admitting what happened to me almost was like a physical release as wow. well. Wow. Uh, and I mean, if you can do the calculations, I mean, I'd, I'd had HIV at this point for 13 years and I didn't have a clue. I'd never been sick. Like I was fine. So I started, just started getting this low-grade fever for like a week. I was taking paracetamol, but it, it wasn't going away. So eventually I thought, you know, maybe I should go to the doctor, maybe after a week. And um, I went and he did a blood test and he was like, yeah, you know what, you've got a virus because um, your white cell count is high. Um, I think you've got tick bite fever. So here's some antibiotics. Um, you know, go take them, you'll be fine. So, I mean, tick bite fever is not, not pleasant. And I was starting to feel really ill. After two days of taking the antibiotics, I, I woke up on the Sunday morning. My phone had died. Not the battery, like the whole phone, dead. It like broke overnight while I was sleeping. Crazy. Wow. And I was so ill. And I knew that something was terribly, terribly wrong. So... I, I managed to get out of bed. I, I thought I was going to pass out. I couldn't phone anybody. I didn't know anybody's number off by heart. My entire family was a church at this point. Their phones were off. Um, so I went to my landline and I pressed redial. And it was this friend that had come for the, uh, the painting party. But it went to voicemail and I left like this desperate voicemail for her that I needed help like something was really wrong. But after a while, I realized you know, nobody was coming to help me and I needed to get to the doctor. Fortunately, my doctor was really close to my house um, and it wasn't my usual doctor. It was a locum doctor because it was a Sunday. And, and when I arrived there, he was like, what, what's going on? What's going on? I was so ill. I was crying. I, I knew, like, I could just feel that I was dying. And he's like, my girl, I'm calling the ambulance. You've got to get to the hospital like right now. And I argued with him and I was like, I can't go to the hospital. Like, I don't have, I don't have a phone. Nobody will know where I am. What if something happens? So he wrote a note and he was like, okay, fine. Do what you need to do, but you need to get the ambulance. You need to get to the hospital. Now church was just around the corner. So I drove there and one of the girls there is a, is a paramedic. And she saw me walking towards the door. Um, and she ran out and she got a chair and she got all of her equipment out and hooked me up and um, called the ambulance. The ambulance came. At this point, this was 2016, and so like Zika virus was big. And so they thought I had Zika virus. Zika virus. Okay, right. Zika virus. That's right. Yeah. So they rushed me off to the hospital, ran a whole bunch of tests, including... HIV. Did they have to um, ask you to run the HIV test or did they just do it automatically? 
Yeah, no, they asked me. They, they did have to ask me, you. Did Had it run yeah. through your head yet at this point? Do you know what? No. Um, I was actually just so ill. Mm-hmm. And, and I just thought to myself, I just need to know what is wrong because like, I'm dying. I felt like I was dying. So they ran a bunch of tests, but obviously they wouldn't get those results back until like the, the next day. So they gave me the results that they had and they were like, yeah, yeah, we can see you've got a virus. Um, Here's some vitamin B and some ibuprofen, go home. Oh yeah, I heard that story too. So um, Shem, one of the friends uh, was with me and she said, look Kat, like, I don't want you to go home and be by yourself, come stay with me. So I went home with her and I was literally in bed for days and I was just getting worse and worse. I was throwing up, like, I was just like, this is it. And like, I I don't, I don't even know how to explain it, but so many people will tell you this, like at that point, like, you know, you know your body, you know, something is terribly, terribly wrong. Um. I guess one one good thing about what all of this has has taught me is that in that moment when I was lying in that bed, like I was so ill and I was thinking, okay, I'm I'm dying. And the thoughts that went through my mind during that time was I have lived my entire life for other people. I've done everything that other people have told me to do, that my family's told me to do, that my religion has told me to do. Um, You know, I've tried to be this, this, you know, this good girl and and do everything that I'm told. And here I am at 36. And if this is it, if this is it for me, like I have been miserable. Mm. I have not lived my life to its fullest potential. And all of those people that I'd been trying to please and live my life for were nowhere to be seen. Like I was there alone. And I think that that was like a wake up call for me to, you know, because I was like, okay, if this is it, like I've not lived my life the way I wanted to live my life. And now I'm, now we're done. Wow. So, you know, that, that was, at the, I mean, at the time, it was it was not the best thought. But now, looking back, obviously, I'm fine now. So, right. you know, it really has kind of changed, changed the way that I do things and the things that I do and why I do them. Because you were um, facing death. I mean, it was right yeah. there staring at you. So you, yeah. you had taken an HIV test. Had they not gotten results for that? They never called me back. So... My friend that I was staying with said, I think you should just go to my doctor, you know, because my, my GP had been seeing me for like 10 years, you know, so he was, he was, you know, quite familiar with me, I think too familiar. Um, also, like, I didn't fit the profile of people of someone with HIV, especially right. in South Africa, you know right. what I mean? I didn't fit the description. You right. know? So I don't think he ever thought to test me. And then, yeah, so we went to her doctor, super nice guy. Um, 
he he obviously got all the test results from the hospital um and then he called me the next day and he's like uh, I need you to do one more test for me and um, please will you come in and just do it and then come and see and then oh yeah that was it I went back home and then he called me the next day and he's like I need you to come in and see me um and at this point like before he got the other tests from the hospital he was like if we can't find anything now I'm gonna have to send you to a tropical disease specialist because wow. tropical disease specialist wow I guess yeah. that's our infectious disease doctors here probably similar yeah so um he called me in and he sat me down and he was like listen um I've got like not great news so first thing I went through my head was like oh my god I've got cancer right yeah I was I was like he's gonna tell me I've got cancer and I'm dying you know my mom had cancer and like everybody's got cancer right and he took the test results and he pushed them in front of me and he pointed down to the bottom and he was like you're HIV positive oh my god and my heart sank to my stomach and I was like I was in shock like everything was in slow motion and I remember just saying to him like do you you mind just excusing me for for a minute like there's somebody in the waiting room like I need to go speak to you this is my friend so I I left the room and like I just started crying and she obviously like ran to me like from where she was sitting and she gave me a hug and I was just like he says I'm I'm HIV positive and you know fortunately for me she was way more educated about HIV than I was wow thank god so she was like you know what it's not the end of the world it's gonna be okay so she came in with me and he was such a great doctor, um, no, knew about U equals U, which was amazing. And He knew about know, he that? Was, yeah. So he was like telling me, you know, it's not a death sentence amazing. anymore. You'll just take a pill every day. You'll become undetectable. You can have sex. You can have babies. Y- you know, you oh. just carry on living your life. And awesome, my first question was, how long do I have, you know? Right. And... Uh, at that point, my, my CD4 was 54. So, you know, I was, I was one cold away from, you know, yes. dying. Yes. Um, he, he was like, okay. But at this point, he could see I was not listening to a word he was saying because I was in shock. So he said, look, he goes, go home, just process this and come back tomorrow so I can explain it to you again when you're actually listening. <laughs> right so I was like okay no that's fine and so I did that I came back and explained the whole you equals you and how it'd be undetectable then I wouldn't be able to pass a virus on and I'd live a normal lifespan and all of that so I still kind of had to to process this because I had no clue I didn't I didn't know a thing right can I just ask um, you really quick? I don't mean to cut you off, but I know for me, no, and for we it. both got the information when we were deathly ill. And for, mm. I feel like that was so difficult, like psychologically, because already you're feeling so bad. And then you realize what mm. is in your body and what's doing this from head to toe. You've got this virus now that's, that's creating this problem. I don't know for you. I yeah. feel like 
it hitting me when I was really sick. I wonder how it would have been if I had not been sick and I felt healthy and I got this news, how different it would have been. But I just, when you're feeling so mm. bad and then you hear it's HIV on top of it, I just felt like that was like getting hit with a ton of bricks. Yeah. I mean, like so hard 100%. to comprehend. And like, how did you even sleep that first night? I feel like I don't even know how I slept that first night knowing that that's what's in me now. Mm. To be honest with you, I mean, like, from the time I got the news to the next day, it's kind of like a blur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's really, it's a blur. I don't even know if I slept that night. I can't tell you. I can't remember. Yeah. I don't. Right. I do not remember a thing. Um, I, I do remember, like, I think it was the next day, though, like the evening. I was still, I was still really sick. And at this point, he'd, he'd sent me, he said, you know, you need to go check out because obviously you've got an infection. We don't know what it is, so we can't treat it. So we need to sort that out first. So he knew um, you had something on top of just HIV symptoms. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There was, there was no way like I would be that ill if there wasn't anything else. I know? remember how difficult it was just to get out of my house, like taking steps to the damn car to mm. sit down in the seat and then open the door and get out to go into the doctor's office. Like you were making a few trips. I can't even imagine. Do you remember how ill you were just even sitting in that office and just thinking, I don't I, even know how I'm going to get home. Like how sick I feel. I just remember everything was an effort, you know? I mean, I was fortunate to have my friend with me, so I didn't have to drive and, and stuff like that, which I, I don't think I would have been able to, honestly. I right. was I was throwing up, like yeah. I felt weak. I I literally, I, I thought I, I really felt like I was dying. And I mean, I was, I really right. was. I was freaking dying. Yep. Um, this, okay, from the time so, that the time that you had that um, wine party with your friend, the painting wine party, until this doctor's mm-hmm. visit, how much time had gone by? Was it just a couple? So of the, um, yes, yeah, so this is I got diagnosed on the twelfth of August. Okay, so it's so about it's about two weeks. Two. It you, was about so you two. got that ill that fast? That's insane. It's yeah. like it just a switch went off and your whole body just started getting affected. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I remember the only th- the next thing I remember was, you know, my friend came t- and sat on my bed. I'm still really ill. I needed, I still had to go to the, an appointment to find out obviously what was wrong with me. And she sat on the bed and next to me and said, Kat, like, how are you actually dealing with this how are you coping how are you processing this information and I just remember saying to her honestly until they invent a time machine there's nothing I can do to change this the only thing I can do is move forward and I think that for me that was also quite a defining moment realizing you know what I have control over and what I don't and what I'm what I choose to to focus and worry on and what I don't mm-hmm. um so so there yeah, there was that and then the next day I obviously went I had to go through to the hospital and saw some specialists they did ultrasounds and all kinds of things and determined at that point that I had abdominal TB oh. okay you yeah. have to explain 
what TB is because in the US it's very uncommon. So we don't have it mm -hmm. that often. I know we test for it, but really quick before that, did you put the connection with the rape and this diagnosis together? Like when you got- Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I put it together immediately. And then I still asked, asked my doctor just kind of for confirmation. He was like, I said, you know, how long do you think I've had this? So he says, well, judging by your CD4 count, I would say about 12 years. Um, and that really just lined up exactly with, with when, the, when the rape happened and, and wow. how, you know, I'd progressed to, to this point. Can I ask you really quick, so, did you know him? This man that raped you, was this a stranger or was it somebody you knew? No, it was a stranger. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Mm. Mm. Oh my gosh. Can I, and do, you know, can I ask sorry. more? I mean, was, were you out? Yeah. Yeah. Like, how did this happen? I don't, I don't know this part at all. Yeah. So, um, so what happened was, um, my father had dropped me off in some really dodgy place. Um, and he kind of just left me to my own devices and I had no way of getting home. So this was like, this was 2003. Um, and these two guys like had offered to help me and I was naive and alone and scared enough to trust that they would help me, but obviously they did not. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. And I think like, at while you know, and while it was happening, again, I think there was just like this, this kind of like loss of control. Like I knew, like I was not in control of the situation, and in my mind, I was thinking to myself, okay, this is happening to you right now, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's happening to you right now. You just need to get through it. You just wow. need to get through it. You just need to get through it. Did you feel like they were going to kill you or did you no, feel like I, actually you like no that? no I didn't no I didn't feel like they were going to kill me Were you pulled into a car or did they just pull you behind a building I mean how did that, how did it happen No so what happened was that they said no you know what we'll t we'll we'll make sure you get home actually we've just got to stop off at my place to go and get something and obviously that's how they got me into the house Oh my yeah. gosh so they, they together planned this or, mm. you know, in the moment or something. And so yeah. did they just let you go and you walked away from there? Yeah. So I ended up walking to the train station oh and the, the first train that was operating then would only be at like half past five in the morning. So I kind of had to wait until half past five in the morning before I could take a train home. Oh, so this had been during the middle of the night. Mm. It happened late. Okay. Oh my gosh. And you never told anybody. Wow. Um, How did you feel after? I mean, you realized you'd been raped, but you just probably wanted to, like you said, it was denial. You just wanted to pretend mm. like it didn't happen or. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just, I, you know, and I felt so much shame and, you know, when I think about it now, like, you know, victims always tell you that they felt shame but you know you don't really you don't you think to yourself like 
why it wasn't your fault. Um, but you do, you feel shame. You feel like something terrible and dirty was done to you and you are now tarnished. Nobody will ever love you. Um, this is this is the most disgusting thing that could ever happen. And yeah, I just live in, in that denial. And and you think like, okay, what if what if I tell people and they don't believe me? You know, they're gonna think I'm a liar, they're gonna, you know, if they do find this guy, it's gonna be him, his word against mine, and yeah. Do you feel like guilt in some way because you went with them on your own accord and you felt like you put yourself in a situation? I just yes, yeah. A, yeah, I just mm. listened to a podcast where a woman had been raped and she had dated him through an online app and she had gone to his house because he'd been drinking and she was going to get him into a program and everything anyway she'd kind of put herself in the situation with him where she was alone with him and so she had this guilt that she'd somehow Mm. kind of created the situation and she was responsible for it and I thought wow that's so crazy that you actually put blame on yourself yeah you do you do like it's my fault like I shouldn't have why was you know I shouldn't have gone with them I should have I should have known you know but in that moment you know like for myself like I was alone I was scared there was no one else you know, so, um, but yeah, yeah, the, the guilt and the, and the shame is quite, it's quite crazy. That's unreal. Okay. So mm. back to TB in the stomach. What is this? Mm. What does that mean? To be honest with you, I mean, like, I don't even know, like the, the technical medical side of it. I know that you get different types of TB. So you obviously the most common is, you know, in your lungs where you're coughing and, and stuff like that. Um, then you have the the TB in in your stomach as well, like in your intestines. I know that it just gets kind of all over. And then you have another kind of TB, which is in your brain. So, you know, yeah. So, and so they kind of estimated that the way that I got it was about three weeks before I got ill, um, we had gone to one of our townships so it's like we call them squatter camps it's just like extreme poverty you know there's no sanitation like people are just living in this really really dire dire place Mm -hmm. and we went to go and hand out solar lamps to people so that they had some lights okay and they they estimate that that's where I picked the the tb up Wow. And because at that point, my, my CD4 was just so low, you know, right. so any exposure that's, yeah. it's always funny. I, I have no idea how I got pneumonia. I always think, how did it find its way to me? I don't understand it. Cause I mm. got the typical pneumonia that goes with HIV and I thought, okay, so I was out somewhere at the store. Like, is it just floating in the air and it somehow made it into my body? I don't, I don't understand. I still don't know how that found me. It's, mm. but obviously my CD4 was low also. So I was susceptible to something coming in direct contact with me but I always wonder like did I breathe in someone else's air and then it was in Mm. air molecules like I have no idea how it how it got to me so they actually sort of feel like they have a an explanation for how it might have happened to you yeah yeah so that is why you were so deathly ill like with the vomiting and all that because it was affecting your digestive tract right yeah 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 oh my gosh so so yeah it was it was um and then obviously, like, I I couldn't take ARVs and the TB treatment 
at the same time, or at least not the first the first um, phase of it, mm-hmm. because it's oh, it's probably the worst drug I've ever taken in my entire life. It is for TB, horrible. the medication yeah. for TB. Okay, yeah, it's really really horrible. Um, first of all, it makes everything orange, like. Anything that comes out of your body is orange, including your tears. <laughs> oh my gosh. Is it a pill yeah. or is it liquid form? No, it's a pill. It's a, it's pill. a pill. Okay. And does it make so, you sick? Um, it made me feel like a bit, bit queasy. Um, I started smelling like weird things as well. Every time I took the pill, like I would smell almost like fire something burning but there was nothing burning it was really weird yeah yeah um, it smells too but it was not from medication but yeah all during that time yeah. all better now but yeah but then after obviously after like even after actually after a week I started feeling so much better um I had to wait three months before I could start the ARVs, which was very stressful for me um, because I wanted to, st- I was just like, I need to start now. We have <laughs> like, that. I, I, need yep, to, me too. I need to start yep. taking this medicine like right now. Please let and me then take they made, it. Yeah, we beg for mm, it, right? Totally. Yeah. And then they made me wait three months, which was, which was crazy. I had to wait three weeks and I thought that was bad enough. Yeah. Three months is crazy. Mm. And it's funny because so many people that don't have HIV are afraid of the medication because they think it's so toxic and it's going to make you sick. And here when you have HIV and you know, it's like, you know, head to toe in your body, you cannot wait to take it. You just want that thing that's going to make it better. And you don't, there's really not much fear about taking it because you just can't wait to feel better. Um, Yeah. Oh, I had another question about, oh yeah, were, were you in the hospital? I feel, I thought you were. Did you spend time in the hospital? No, no. So I think like, fortunately I was, I was still staying with this friend of mine and they were quite happy for me to get the treatment and um, be, be at home. So that was fine. Oh, okay. I don't know why I thought yeah. you were at the hospital. I just know that you were really, really ill for a long time. Mm. So how long did yeah. it take for the um, TB to clear up? So I had to be on the, the TB medication for nine months. Oh, so it's, it's, it's quite long, but um, so orange once that was for nine months. <laughs> mm. Wow. That's crazy. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Crazy. So, but you know, fortunately, like it, I, I felt better so quickly, which kind of helped, you know, just psychologically mm-hmm. and it helped a lot. Um, I remember actually the, when I, the day I went to go and, and collect the, the, my first batch of TB medication, like I was just asked them a whole bunch of questions about like, you know, like, can I, can I exercise? Like, can I run? Like, I was just like, I became so obsessed and like, you know what, I'm going to be so healthy. I'm going to like, you know, drink green juice every day. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to green. Yeah. Grass. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like that did not yeah. happen. Yeah. <laughs> but it did not happen. Um, but I, yeah, so then I, I started my ARVs on the 16th of October. By the uh, way, when you get better, isn't it the best? When you get back oh, to normal, wow, wow. It's, you're so thankful. You cannot believe that you actually get to be normal again. And like that you're yeah. so thankful to feel normal. It's the best feeling. You know, like for me, 
the biggest part of what helped me from your video, okay, was when you said that you one of the nurses that you had spoken to said to you, in a few months, this is all going to seem like a distant memory. Mm-hmm. I remember that line so clearly because for me, that was just... That was it. I, honestly, I don't remember half of else of what else, what you said in that video, except for that. That for me was the hope. I was like, if in a few months' time this whole ordeal is just a distant memory, I will be the happiest person alive. You know, in the video, that was actually my doctor that had said that to me. She said, um, oh. "Yeah," she said, and that moment for me was very pivotal, also because I, when I had come in there, it was the first time. I was meeting her and she said, um, you know, this is going to be a distant memory. And I remember her saying it with a smile on her face, like she knew for sure. Mm-hmm. And in my mm-hmm. mind in that moment, I was, you know, really, really sick. And I, hold on, my dog's barking. Um, yeah, it was, it was hard to believe that that was going to be the case, but I had to cling on to those words. Like I remember feeling mm-hmm. that. So it's amazing that me sharing that, that you felt that way also. That's mm. amazing. Yeah. So you hung on to that knowing that you would eventually feel normal again. Yeah. Wow. And it took, it took about, about four weeks until, and then I was undetectable. Wow. I can't Literally believe four weeks. I can't believe your doctor knew about U equals U because yeah, the beginning of U equals U started in January of 2016. I was diagnosed in February and I know Bruce and Carrie, oh, I can't think of her last name. It's like one syllable. It'll come to me. She and him put together like the consensus statement for U equals U in January of 2016. And so I didn't talk to Bruce until December of 2016, but it had just mm. started its momentum right around when you were diagnosed. Like, I'm so impressed mm. that your doctor knew about that and was on board and told you, like, that's the best. It's so great. Yeah. So I actually think what it was, the reason I think he knew was, you know, he had then said to me, look, one of the other doctors in his practice, her daughter is a doctor. And um, she's actually um, busy doing like her internship at um, the HIV clinic, which is at a hospital here in South Africa called Baraguana. And he had suggested that he would contact her because the professor over there was like one of the, the leading infectious disease, you know, doctors in South Africa. And she had then obviously spoken to him and you know given given him the information for me to go and see him so i think that obviously you he'd been he'd already knew like he already knew people that were involved in hiv and specialized in that field so i think that that also helped Amazing. I mean, it's not that the information wasn't out there because the all the studies were done years before. There was information yeah. out there, but the actual name for it, you know, U equals U, undetectable equals untransmittable was like really coined, I think, in January of 2016. But mm. amazing that because not all doctors are giving that information out to their patients. So I'm so glad that you Yeah. Anyway. No, for sure. For sure. And I think like, you know, it's I know like you also have done a lot of of research as far as 
um, women not transmitting the virus. Right. And it was actually so funny because like a few months before, um, my ex had contacted me and we'd, we hadn't been together for about a year now. We'd, we'd been broken up. And yeah, it was actually exactly a year when he contacted me. And he said, look, um, I, I need to do a test for STDs and, and HIV. And he was freaking out. He had such anxiety about it. And um, he was like, you know, I just, I'm just letting you know, like, you know, I'll let you know, like, what the results are and, and stuff. And oh, he was freaking out. And I remember, like, a few you? days later. Did he know about no, you? No, this, this, was, this was before I even got sick. This oh. was about a month before. Okay. So, like, I didn't even know about me. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and um, when he then got back to me and he was like, no, like, his, all these results are negative. He doesn't have HIV, so relief. You know, I thought to myself, like, okay, well, then I'm sure I'm fine. You know what I mean? Um, because if he doesn't have it, then I don't have it. Uh, I hadn't been with anybody else up until that point. And little did I know that, you know, even it wouldn't have been possible for me how to transmit long, the virus to him. How long had you guys dated for? Oh, quite a number of years. Oh, know. so there you go. Another mm. example of like years of exposure to a woman who has the HIV and they didn't. Yeah. Have it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> I don't know why it's not spoken about more. I really don't. I don't get it. I don't know why it's kept quiet. And mm. I mean, like I've gone to these um, conventions where of course we're happy about you equals you because in general, it's really good for stigma and it's good for people that don't have HIV to see that, you know, we can't transmit it, but there's women crying on stage that they're, you know, I remember just looking at them thinking, but you weren't like the chances of you transmitting it anyways, were like nearly impossible. Like wh why isn't anybody yeah. telling these people this? And it was really mm. frustrating for me. Like I wanted to scream in the audience, like you weren't even a threat. Like, why isn't anybody saying this? And they're not. Oh, and right. I even, I, there was a thing that I could fill out after one of the conferences. And I said, like, why isn't this being spoken about? Why is there no like session for women and HIV and what's happening? Like, why are we continuing to make women feel that they're just as much of a threat, not to put blame on men, but it is, it is information that should be more available. And I feel like it's just the information only is passed on to people uh, that just know each other. It's not something that medically is being shared. Yeah. And I don't, I don't and I think that why. I think that I mean it just from from previous discussions which we've obviously had on on the group mm -hmm. I personally feel that with women who are adamant that that it they can um, are actually just in denial about the fact that their husbands or boyfriends are either bisexual or involved with drugs yeah I know. I feel that you know. it's, it's, it's a hard thing because I don't want to ever tell anybody that their story isn't valid or that they are wrong mm. or, you know, it's really, it's hard because what if that was me? I wouldn't want someone telling me that if I had my truth, but I've lived a different story you have as well. So we 
we, I mean, I don't, you know, I feel like I was a bit of an experiment, you know, and like, I didn't realize I was, I was part of an experiment and like the same with Brittany Ann and so many other women on the page, it's the same thing. And, um, it, so we're coming at it from a different perspective where we feel that it's just not even possible. And then obviously if you're married to somebody who gives it to you and they've told you that they got it from another woman, you know, it's a different situation. And that's, the, that's the story yeah. you're hearing. And you don't, you know, we don't always know. Like, I remember a woman telling me, you know, your husband may say he's going out to the store to buy milk and eggs, but you don't realize like <laughs> that time that he's gone, a lot of things can happen really quickly where if mm -hmm. men have this secret, in fact, somebody just wrote to me yesterday, it was a man who had um, anal sex with another man. He's very concerned because he has a wife and a young child. And he said, the man, he said, I just did it because I don't know, I'm, I wish I hadn't done it, but it was something I've been curious about. And it turned out that the man that he was with was also a married man. And so like Eric and I were speaking about the fact that we think, oh, it's always like, if it happens, we always assume that this other person that they have sex with is probably a gay man. But no, these were two married men with young children who decided to try it. And I'm not saying this is real, real common, but I mean, it happens for sure. And yeah. I'm sure those wives yeah. have absolutely no idea that their husbands had sex together. Obviously, I don't think they were friends or anything, but they both admitted that they had wives. So yeah, it definitely happens. I see it with the messages that come to me for sure. So I'm aware and way more aware of like things that I didn't even think were happening, you know, but yeah, I'm a, I didn't realize that you had that same story with, um, come yeah. on in, Finn. Finn's crying at the door. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's an amazing, it's amazing information that I just think should be shared more. But when people think of HIV, they just think of it as an extremely contagious virus. You know, mm. I have somebody right now who's writing to me about it. They were exposed, they think, to a homeless woman who had scaly skin and they think that they touched her hand. And this is how they're worried that maybe. Wow. And I, yeah. And so I had to explain, no, that's not how it's. And he goes, well, what if, uh, what if my finger that I, you know, he like had this crazy, like thinking of like, what if that touched part of this? I said, no, it, it's not, ex you don't contract HIV <laughs> through touching hands. Like this is not a thing, but it's funny. People really feel that it's so incredibly contagious. And it's like, no, it really takes a really you know, I always say kind of like a perfect storm for it to happen because it has to reach your bloodstream mm -hmm. and people don't realize yeah. that skin is a protective layer, you know, it's a protective organ. It doesn't go through skin. Like there ha it has to be like an mm -hmm. open tear or something, you know? Yeah. Oh, and women yeah, are obviously sure. built differently than men. So uh, we're more susceptible if a man has it, you know, that we can get yeah. it. So. Did your family, um, do they know? Yeah, so like the the day that I got diagnosed, I kind of just called a meeting, um, and oh my god, and I told them, um, and so my my family situation is a bit is a bit um, complicated because I've got like a biological family and I've got a non biological family, so at this this point now this this part of the story is with my non biological family, but I call them like my folks and and all of them because they we're pretty close. Uh -huh. So um, my dad was like in shock and said, "No, I need to go and do the test again because he doesn't think that it's real." 
And I mean, like with a viral load of 540,000 and a CD4 of 54, it's kind of hard to, you know, so maybe it's a mistake. Yeah, yeah. but just to kind of put his mind at ease, I went and I did the test again. My doctor laughed at me and <laughs> <laughs> I was like, please, let's just do this for him. Like just, you know, obviously came back positive. Um, but um, I think that in a way um, it wasn't too bad because they, they were also quite more educated, I think, than I was. Wow. Which was good um and then um my brother and my my sister-in-law in in the UK I I skyped with them and I told them um because we're pretty close and um, the rest of my family like not my whole family doesn't know to be honest with you I haven't told everyone um my brothers know and my one aunt knows and uh I only told my my biological dad in 2017 um and yeah are they, are you adopted were, i didn't know are, are you adopted no 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 not not officially adopted no no oh, okay yeah. um yeah. i know hiv the prevalence in south africa is really high it's much higher mm. i think than in, in the u.s so is it not as shocking the diagnosis or is it still just as shocking to people no I think the, the stigma here in South Africa is, is still really bad, mm. um, which is which is I think part of the problem why people aren't getting tested. The the ubiquitous U message is not is not public. People mm. don't know about it. Mm-hmm. They still think that that HIV is a death sentence. That you know once you have it you're going to die. Crazy. You know so people don't want to get tested. They it's just yeah and and the, the sad thing is that like. Um, treatment in South Africa is 100% free, mm-hmm. 100% free. Mm-hmm. So, you know, medically though, there's it's it's great. The 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 treatment you receive is amazing. The the psychological side of it is missing though because you don't get counselling. You know, you don't you don't get any of that. There aren't support groups. They just don't exist. Wow. So. Yeah. yeah, which uh, leads us to our um, our support mm. group. Yeah, that was so. I've told people that in my my teaser for this next podcast is that you're my first wife. I said I'm not a lesbian. It's just that. Um, <laughs> so it was that was amazing. You had contacted me, and I think um, Connie was next, and then. Brittany yeah. was third. I remember that sequence and I can't remember who was fourth, fifth, sixth. But anyways, I ended up with about by maybe February-ish um, from after I put my video out in August. So about five, six months later, there was probably 15 women that I was speaking to on a regular basis, all who had HIV, who had mm. found me through YouTube. And I was like, it would be so awesome if like, you know, you guys could talk together. Like how freaking odd. And I thought, I'm just going to see what they think about this. I'm like, see if I can put them in. I don't even know about Facebook groups. I'd never done it. So I I asked every single one of you and everybody was freaking on board. could not believe it. Mm -hmm. So I just, oh my God, I, every time I talk about it, I get emotional. I remember being in my kitchen and I lost it. Like I put you guys all together and I saw you guys typing to each other. And I just Mm -hmm. felt so powerful and amazing and like 
I just was so overwhelmed with emotion. I just, I fell to my, like, I remember being in the corner, corner of my kitchen and falling down and just sobbing, like crying. And Eric's like, what's wrong? I said, they're all talking to each other. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like, this is, this is like, these women all need this so bad. They all need to know that there's, they're not alone. And like, you guys yeah. were all, I just, I don't know if you remember that day. Like I, for me, it was so huge and it just, oh my God, it felt amazing. So that's where it started. But yeah, do you remember? Yeah. Like, I remember you typing. I, <laughs> I remember, honestly, like so clearly because I was I was lying in bed. I woke up in the morning and I saw this notification that, that Jennifer had added you to invited you to this group. And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Anne was yeah. there too. Anne from um, Nairobi. Yeah, I remember she was part of the beginning too. Yeah. So, yeah. So you started seeing, and you guys could see each mm -hmm. other's pictures, obviously. So you could see the faces also. It wasn't just writing because it was your Facebook profile. Yeah. So everybody was comfortable enough to like see each other, which was a huge mm -hmm. thing too. Like that to me was so amazing that you guys were all like, okay, with that step. Cause yeah. like, I have a woman that wants to join the group right now and she's uh, she hasn't spoken to anybody and I think it's been like 17 years it's been super long oh, she wow. said it took everything just to write to me because she said she even that was scary and I'm so it's been baby steps but she um she's terrified that um because there's about what 220 women in the group she's terrified that somebody in the group might know her and I like so this is holding her back and I said I don't have like a hundred thousand people in this group. It's 200. Like what do you, there's, what are the odds that somebody would know you? Like, it's not, mm. that's not going to happen, but she kind of yeah. thinks like, what if a family member's in there or um, somebody she works with will recognize her. And I thought this is the fear that goes along with this virus. It's so insane mm. to me. Like, what is it? What, like what, if you had the flu, you wouldn't be thinking this way. I always think that if you had yeah. the flu or some other virus, you wouldn't be thinking this way, but the stigma that is that goes with this is so bad that people are terrified to even join a group of just 200 people thinking someone might see them mm. and know yeah. that they have this it, that to me is what yeah it's just crazy I mean, I, I mean like you know for myself I mean like I I haven't told a lot of people mm -hmm. um and uh, you know if you're close to me I'll I'll tell you you know what I mean um but <laughs> there's a part of me that just thinks like do you know what like it's actually nobody's business mm -hmm. <laughs> you know True. what I mean like I don't you don't people don't go around saying like oh listen I just really need to tell you that um I have a foot fungus <laughs> <laughs> I have I have hemorrhoids and I need to tell you all about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah like like wow like that that doesn't happen but the, yet people expect you to you know just you know tell everyone like you know like you have you're obligated like why like no. and I, this has come up so many times and I, I, I think there uh, Rafe also did a, a video about this about disclosure and you know if you're undetectable like should you have to disclose um so and I think I think that the you equals you message is really important. I think when it comes to disclosure as well, um, I will um, generally, if I feel like, you know, we're getting closer and, you know, things could move to the next level. I think it's important that just that honesty, just if it comes out later, like, well, why didn't you tell me? You know what I mean? So I guess it's that honesty factor. 
Um, but actually, I read a quote, it was, I think it was last week, actually, that said that, uh, you know, someone with HIV who's virally suppressed is literally the only person you know for sure won't give you HIV. For sure. Like, yeah. Every, everybody else, like, it's still, there's a question mark. But somebody who's HIV positive and virus suppressed, you know for sure, like, they cannot give you HIV. It's impossible. So that means, like, if you're passing up the opportunity to date somebody um, who is HIV positive, you're not only being unkind and, and unsympathetic, but you are also being freaking dumb. Yeah. Like, you say it's so the dumb. Same. And you... And you're making like a, you know, a deal breaker out of something that is so inconsequential. <laughs> well, they say it's exactly the same as not having sex. You can relate it exactly the same. Somebody with HIV who's undetectable is exactly the same as not having sex. That's exactly, there's no chance of getting HIV. So yeah, yeah it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, the U equals U moment, movement is, um, it's, I hope it just keeps moving and getting louder and people are, you know, hearing more about it. Um, mm. I wanted to ask you about medication. Cause I think you're, are you changing to Devado? Yeah. So I changed actually on Sunday. So, um, it's not called Devado. It's, um, I've changed over indication here in South Africa called Renega. So it's got the, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's the, 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 the Ludogravir. That's how I say it, but I don't think the, I say it right that one that yeah. one yeah. um so so yeah i started on sunday um i was i mean my doctors told me there's no reason to be nervous or less side effects um you won't you won't really feel much of a difference um obviously i was still you still kind of have a bit of anxiety when you're changing because you know it's normal mm-hmm. um but yeah it's been a, it's been a week now and so is it not 100% is it- is it dilutegravir and lamivudine together? Just yes. Um, no. So we've got we've got three still. It's TL, TLD, tenof, tenofovir. Okay, so it is different. Okay, I know. Okay, so mine mm. was abacavir, lamivudine, and I don't think I pronounced any of these right. And dilutegravir. Mm. And so tomorrow I get to go pick it up, and mine is just going to mm. it's going to be triumac. It's minus the abacavir. So it's just going to be dilutegravir mm. and lamivudine, which is kind of like, well, hey guys, um, why were you making us take three drugs for all this time? You know, if two really do the job, like yeah. <laughs> what, what's this all about? Um, hello. So yeah, tomorrow I finally get to start taking mm. Demato, which is going to be my medication that I've been taking all this time minus one drug. And I'm pretty sure that the one drug that I've been taking that Abacavir is the one they told me that probably is causing, I have queasiness about an hour, two hours after I take it, sometimes a little Mm. bit of a headache. And so my hope is that that will go away now because I won't have that one drug anymore. So, but yeah, I feel kind of like, what's up with this making us take three drugs for all this time if really two does Mm. the job, you know? And then also psychologically, it makes me feel like, um, wow, I'm almost like I'm down to two drugs. That almost feels like, even though it's all in one pill, but it almost feels like I have HIV even less now because it does only yeah. <laughs> two drugs to take care of it. You know, it's, it's such a good feeling. It's I get to throw yeah. one of the drugs away because I'm that much, you know, 
better or whatever not better but you know it's that much more in control so yeah it's a good feeling i'm i'm so excited like i'm super excited to take it maybe once i look at that pill i'll be like feeling a little nervous just to see mm-hmm. what the result is but i think it's going to be seamless because it's already what i've been taking i'm assuming it'll be that yeah. way so yeah. um how long did it take for your cd4 to go from 54 to over 200 where you were like out of an mm. eighth diagnosis um, so it was it was pretty slow um, in the beginning, to be honest with you. Um, maybe you went up like t- by 10 at a time. And then it kind of shot up um, all of a sudden. And, and it was actually just in time. It took a year for me to get to 214. Wow. So September, t- September 2017, I was at 214. Um, and it was just literally like just in time because in October I broke my finger and I needed surgery. And right. they're quite they're not they're not too keen to to operate if your if your CD4 is is below 200 because of infections, you know, post-op mm-hmm. infections and stuff like that. So it literally reached 200 and then a month later I broke my finger and I had to have surgery. So <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. But you were were mm-hmm. you done taking the medication for TB at that point when you had the finger surgery? Yeah, I finished taking the TB meds in the May already. So Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know a lot of people are always um asking me how long does it take to get your CD4 back up and um, mm. what a lot of people don't realize is that even though it's under 200 for, you know, cause when it gets down really low, it takes longer for it to recuperate, mm. but you do feel normal, right? I mean, it's not, yeah, no, 100%, even, though, yeah. even though you're like literally at an AIDS diagnosis because your CD4 is under 200. I mean, you know, and I know Brittany Ann was down to a four, she was all the way down to a four. So yeah. she was working and she was like at a 75 or whatever, you know, and, and felt normal again. So it's, it's kind of confusing people think, well, if you're susceptible, you must, you know, to other infections and you're under 200, you must be a very sick person, but we weren't. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew it too. Mm. I felt fine. Once the infections were cleared up, I felt fine. Yeah. hundred percent. It was, you just, you feel normal, you know? Mm. Um, it, and although two months, once I re- reached that 200, it also was slow again, slow again, slow. Um, and then in March this year, it was five or eight, which is the highest that it had ever been. And like, I think reaching that 500 mark for me was like a milestone. And I, I was in lockdown, we were in lockdown, so I couldn't even celebrate. But I just bawled. I was sobbing like a little baby. I was so happy. You know, <laughs> I've only done it once. I've mine was right around there. It was just over 500, and it happened one time. And I seem to hover in the 400 range, but my doctor said, you're showing a pattern or there's a, what is it? It's, um, I can't remember the word, but you're, you're trending in this area mm-hmm. where you're continually going up and it kind of might drop a little bit, but it goes back up to where it's supposed to be. So I mm-hmm. get it. I felt when I saw that 500, I'm like, wow, it's, I mean, it's great. I mean, mm-hmm. I do think it's going to just take time. It's because when you're CD4, obviously mm-hmm. when it's low, it just takes longer, but yeah, yeah, I mean, we're doing everything. So right. my, my my doctor also said, you know, like we also don't know what your what our CD4 was before we got infected. So we don't have a base to even work from. Oh, you know, interesting. so so he says, you know, a 700, you might have been a 700 before you even got infected. So oh. 
I never you know, even you know thought I mean? of that. No one's ever even talked yes. to me about that, that I could have been a general seven, 800 or something like that, not a 1500, which is what I always mm. think I probably was, yeah. but really who knows? Because we don't test yeah. for our CD4 count when there's nothing going on with us. No one knows. What exactly. So it's just, there's no, there's no kind of, you know, base for them to work off. So you don't actually know what's normal for you. Right. <laughs> exactly oh that's very mm. interesting i've never thought of it that way i could have been like a regular seven old 700 all the time yeah yeah we just don't know well i don't want to keep you forever what time is it there by the way i forgot to ask uh, you that. It, it's 20 past seven i knew you were gonna use military terms <laughs> we don't <laughs> we have to think about it in the u.s so i think that's 8 20 because we go 20 minus no. 12 right? it's eight Oh, uh, no. It's, so it's 7.20. It's 7.20. Oh, okay. Did I calculate that wrong? Okay. So it's 7.20 at night. Is this your, would you normally be going home by now or do you work? Is this your work time? Oh, no. I'm, I'm cool home. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm quite happy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay. I didn't want to keep you and make sure no one's going to be like, where is she? Nobody's, <laughs> nobody's, nobody's asking about where I am. <laughs> nobody cares where i am where's Catherine? <laughs> well is there anything else you want yeah. like oh like what would you tell somebody who's newly diagnosed what's like you know something important that you could tell somebody who's newly diagnosed do you know actually i've had it i've had a couple of people that you've actually sent to me <laughs> to oh, talk to i think yeah. i have yeah 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 i mean i think that's what I tell people generally off the bat, first thing I say, like, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You're going to take a pill, one pill, like a vitamin every day. Yeah. It's like my advice is get a pill box. <laughs> yeah. Because you're going to have a moment where you forget and you're going to freak out because we've all been there. Yep. Get a pill box, um, get onto medication and get on with your life. Yep. Totally. Totally. Such that's, great advice. It's that simple. It's that it's simple. Really, it's really that simple. And find people, you know, like in a support group who you can talk to because um, like, I mean, obviously like my friends, my close friends know, um, but it's not really something that you, you can, you know, there's, there's things that you can't really talk to them about. Not that you can't, you know, like, I mean, what I mean, but I find like sometimes when I speak to, when I speak to friends or whatever, they kind of feel a bit awkward, like, you know, having a conversation about this and like, I'll like want to make jokes and like, they just think it's inappropriate. <laughs> Cause you're like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, like I'm that okay with it. Like I can make a joke. Yeah, I am. I'm totally okay. We can, we can joke about this, you right. know? <laughs> did anybody, um, um, did anybody act differently towards you once they found out like concerned or? standoffish or no. you know what I've, I've been I've been really blessed in that in that regard um everybody that I've told has been amazing wow has been really really amazing yeah. do they know where you work does anybody know I think you said yeah people know where you work some people yeah okay mm. and did you ever were you ever concerned that it would affect your job no okay oh good no i no, not at all. It's actually it's it's part of our um, our labor law that um, employees employers actually aren't, aren't even allowed to ask you to do a test. It's against the law. 
Oh, okay. Okay. So like, it's so interesting though, because then there's Wade who was a flight attendant who was literally almost losing his job because of his diagnosis. And he had to fight for that. Like, why did that happen? Cause that's South Africa, right? Wade's story. Yeah. That was, it was crazy. Um, I was shocked, honestly. So that is abnormal what happened to him or was mm. that it was okay. So that should never have happened. Okay. No, no. Okay, because I was thinking maybe that was just the norm and people were used to being kicked out of their job and they just never fought it. And he had, he just decided to be the one to fight it. So he got something that happened that was really uncommon. Oh, how? Yeah. 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 And but for- I mean, mm-hmm. that, I guess it's, you know, thank God he fought it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because how, yeah. how many other people have, have been going through that when it's so unnecessary? Yeah. I remember him telling me like they were making him take tests where he was having to like, I just remember something about blocks. Like he was like, like a menial task to see if he can complete it. Like, can you put the, Mm. I think he was, maybe it was a written test or something, but like, can you put the square block into the square hole? Like, come on, are you freaking kidding me? Like, this is so, you know, demeaning my God. So yeah, I am so glad he fought it and won. And um, is he working? Are they are they flying right now? Do you know? No, no. no. Oh, he's of, totally unemployed. COVID, yeah, Damn. yeah. It's crazy. I'm so tired. Are they? Are you guys wearing masks everywhere still? Yep. So it is. Are your businesses um, closed down for the most part? A lot or? Um, we've we've started opening up now. So we are t- on level one of lockdown. So businesses have started opening a lot of people are still working from home it's for safety reasons um we are expecting a second wave though so are you guys um and your season right now you guys are going into spring summer right now where we go yeah all winter okay so it's just starting to like get warm and stuff so you guys Mm. will be like probably dining outside when places start opening we have we have we are already you're already okay yeah we're doing that too but i i think as it gets colder we'll see what happens it doesn't get that cold here but um yeah mm. i wonder what, what's going to happen with that well is there i'll let you go i mean i've thank you so much this has been an amazing interview i've learned so much that i didn't actually know i'm like so mm. glad i got to hear your story and people get to hear it it's really powerful it really is and i'm just so glad that i finally got to see you like in person in real time it's hmm. so great. You have the, you're so funny, by the way. I love your, you used to do Instagrams. Like every morning there'd be like a funny joke. You kind of stopped doing that. But I remember just waking up and always seeing your Instagram first. Oh. And it was something that would just be so freaking funny about just human nature. And you'd have a little twist on it. I don't know if you were writing those or, hmm. but I just remember those were, so yeah. you have a great sense of humor. Just, uh, I've kind of, well, I, saw, I posted again yesterday, but I kind of just took a bit of a break from Instagram. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll get yeah. back. We have to take a break at times. I know I, I, I'm hardly doing YouTube <laughs> barely. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I like podcasting better just because it's, um, it's easier all the way around. YouTube means a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It is a yeah. lot of work. So editing and yeah yeah well if you see wade please give him a hug for me and yeah uh, we actually we're actually going on a hike this weekend so. you're kidding mm-hmm. i gotta get him on here yeah for sure <laughs> our, uh, our interview originally was like what three years ago maybe 
Um, mm-hmm. And we did a, we did like a Skype. I don't know. We tried somehow I did have them. I think I had the camera set up behind me. Yes, like filming yeah. the camera. Yeah. It was, I didn't know how to do it. I've never really. I still, I, I remember that interview really well because it was so funny. You asked him where he was and he was like in my room. <laughs> I know and I was like no like actually like you know what I just did the geographically I just did the exact same thing for um you know they did a day with HIV where you show where you Mm. are in that moment and Rick Guasso who um he works for Pause Aware magazine he wrote to me and he said you know he wrote on my Facebook yesterday like where were you where this picture was taken and I said in my bedroom and he goes he wrote to me (laughs) privately after and he goes that's great what I actually meant like what city are you and I'm like oh (laughs) I made that error also I get it (laughs) yeah so well thank you so much Catherine it's been amazing I'm so glad that you're my first interview and I I'm so excited for people to hear your story I think it's very powerful and it needs to be told yeah of course of course well well you have a great evening and um i'm gonna get well, on it's it's here. the morning yeah it's the morning it doesn't look like i've been i'm in a dark closet right now but it is sunny and bright outside yeah i'm gonna go start my day so like i said you really need to come out of the closet now. <laughs> i do need to come out of the closet okay well thanks so much again cool. and uh i'll it's be seeing pleasure. you on social media <laughs> yeah definitely Okay. All right. Bye, Catherine. Ciao, Jen. (laughs) Virtual hugs and kisses. I know. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to be notified for any of my upcoming podcasts, be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to help this girl out, then please rate, review, and share my show. Thanks, guys.